through this mic there we go now I can hear myself um, give me a little bit more on this mic through the uh-huh. monitor here if you would please uh, Derek all right good morning you all awake this morning uh, the jury's still out for myself quite honestly but uh, hopefully we'll Get the blood flowing. Oh, don't yawn like that back there. (laughs) Okay. All right, good to have you all here. As you see, we have a little bit of a different setup here this morning. So uh, try to uh, squeeze together as much as possible. Probably still a few people going to find their way in yet. So if you have space at your table, feel free to... uh, Make sure it gets used up. What is the holiday or celebration today? Surely somebody knows that. Mother's Day. Hmm. What's Mother's Day all about? It's about mothers? All right. Well, that should be obvious enough. Who all is thankful for their mothers here this morning? Who all has a mother? Everybody have a mother here? All right. Well, you all should be thankful, okay? Um, Brad, why are you thankful for your mom? <laughs> all right. Step it up, Carrie. Um, <laughs> hmm. Eden, why are you thankful for your mom? She cooks food. Yep, that's a good one. How about some... Older people here. Dave, why are you thankful for your mother? All right. Well, glad to hear that uh, you are thankful for your mothers. Uh, my mother just uh, turned 72 years old. Last week, I think it was, and uh, is in pretty good health and has been an incredible mother through even raising all us crazy nine kids and, and uh, dealing with a lot the last couple of years. She's been a real example to me, even in her uh, older age, or probably even especially in her older age. So thankful for mothers even at... Uh, this stage in our lives, in my life, and some of you older ones here that still have your mothers here that are elderly, they still have an impact. And those of you that are elderly here and, and are mothers, you still have an impact on people's lives, on your children's lives. Never forget that. All right, let's spend some time in uh, worship this morning. So feel free to stand. Let's uh, just try to not stand right directly in front of everybody. You might have to move around a little bit to uh, make sure everybody can see the 
music, but please feel free to stand and uh, dance around. Maybe Carrie will wake up his foot if he can do a little bit of a dance here. And uh, John, maybe your foot will be... Share your testimonies and thoughts uh, in between the songs, what the Lord has done for you, and any testimony you might have, prayer requests, feel free to share that. Let's sing, He is Exalted. He is exalted, the King is exalted on high, I will praise Him. He is exalted forever, exalted and morning. How's he exalted in your life? Anyone else? Okay. There's many ways to lift him up in our lives. In fact, that's what our entire life should be about.
How much do you need the Lord this morning? Does anybody here besides me need him? Amen. Every day, all day. You know, I believe that the Lord loves to hear us come and confess that, to come and just continually acknowledge our need of him. And understanding that we can do nothing and have nothing of ourselves. As soon as we start feeling that we have anything together of ourselves and can put our lives together 
on our own, that's where things uh, start to go off the rails pretty quickly. So never be ashamed to come to the Lord daily, hourly, constantly, saying, Lord, I need you. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest, and without you, I fall apart, you're the one that guides my heart, Lord, I need
What does the word amen mean? <laughs> you know what the word amen means? Someone help him out. Brandon, what does amen mean? Uh, Where are these fathers to teach their sons what amen means? <laughs> He's not here. <laughs> the end, probably. <laughs> Let it be so. Yes. Do you believe that he lives? Amen. There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and
does something for the kids. So kids, come on up here. All right. Have you guys seen that for a while? Haven't seen it for a while? Have you ever seen it? Yeah. Okay. You want to show us where Canada is? Canada. All right. Can you find England? It's a little island. Yep, you found it. Well, let's go down just a little lower. It's just down in there's Spain. That's Ireland right here. This is England. All right, that orange one right there. It's bigger than Ireland. Yep. Okay. So now you know where that's. Now, can you find China? Didn't find it yet? Well, you got your fingers all over it. What does it say? People's Republic of China. China. Okay, so you see this, all this orange here? That's China. So we got, okay, let's go back here. Let's spin this back. So we got China here. We got England way over here. And we live way over here, and Canada's way over here. So we got that, all right? Okay, now you guys got an idea of the globe, right? Okay. Does anybody know who a missionary to China was? Who? Hudson Taylor. Hmm. You never heard of Hudson Taylor? You know, I, 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 I learned something this morning. You know, I always, you know who Preston is, right? Is Preston a big guy? Hmm. He is? You think he's big? You think uh, Goliath was big? Okay. Goliath was small? Which Bible you got? Hmm. Well, Preston's not, he always thinks he's a little guy. He's not, he's hardly even, I mean, he's like this much shorter than I am. He just thinks he's littler than I am. So, us little guys, sometimes we can actually fit in a little better because we're little. And if you go to Asia, the people aren't that big. They're not very tall. So, if you're a little shorter, you fit in a little better. So, when I went over there, the first time I was smuggling Bibles into China and and Vietnam and stuff, we'd ride these sleeper buses. And I was with two guys that were six foot two. So they were tall. And you know what they had a problem doing? Fitting in the seats. And in the sleeper buses, you'd ride in these little beds. They stacked these beds up in the buses and you'd lay in there. And these guys couldn't get comfortable. Their knees stuck up, everything. And then I was this short little guy that just perfectly fit. So it was good to be small. Well, Hudson Taylor wasn't very big. You know what, though? Does it take somebody big of stature to get something done? Was David bigger than Goliath, that he was able to kill Goliath? He was able to kill Goliath because David was small. But how? He was small. But they 
Exactly. So do you think you can do big things? Well, you're so small. How are you going to do big things? Oh. So do you think, so where does your strength come from? Oh, okay. Now you got to remember this now. So this week when you're asked to do something that feels oh so big, how are you going to do it? Oh, exactly. Okay. I'm going to read you a story about Hudson Taylor. This is kind of like, it's kind of written a little bit in poetry, but hopefully you guys can enjoy this. So where was Hudson Taylor born? You got any guesses? Uh-uh. What was the other country we looked at? It's where Hudson Taylor went as a missionary. England, that's right. Okay. In England in the year of 1851, young Hudson Taylor sat in church, so glad that he had come. He listened to a German man with dark eyes and dark hair who spoke of China and his great adventures working there. In missions, just the place where Hudson also wished to be, a place not known well by the West across the mighty sea. For years before when Hudson prayed, he sensed it was God's plan for him to go to China to that ancient distant land. So when, the spinner, so when the speaker finished, Hudson rushed to shake his hand. You ever rush to shake a speaker's hand? No, I didn't notice it either when I've spoken. Next time you all rush. So we got a speaker here today. You guys all rush to speak his hand after he's done, okay? Deal? No. Why not? Who's bigger than you are? Mmm. Maybe you could pray about it. All right. There, he rushed to shake his hand. He could not wait to talk about his goals and future plans. I'm learning, Hudson said, to be a doctor to prepare to help the Chinese who you know could use good medical care. I'm learning Chinese too, he said, but much to his surprise, a look of doubt appeared within the missionary's eyes. The missionary shook his head and said, you'll never do. Your blue eyes and blonde hair will make the Chinese run from you. God knows the color of my eyes and hair, Hudson replied, and yet I know God wants me there, and he'll be by my side. The missionary laughed at Hudson, certain he was wrong, yet Hudson was convinced that China was where he belonged. Since he had been a sickly child, he knew it would be smart to build himself up physically before he would depart. In order to get tougher, he gave up his feather bed and slept at night for many months on hard bare boards instead. He exercised out in the cold and gave his things away so he could learn to live his life in a more simple way. Two years went by and Hudson left for China on his own, but after years of hard work there, he had to go back home. He had tuberculosis, a terrible disease, but he made plans to work someday again with the Chinese. While, while, while there he'd seen some Chinese while there he'd seen some Chinese pray to images they'd made, they did not know the living God who hears the prayers we pray. He'd seen them worship at a statue, Buddha, made of stone, and thought, how can I help them know the true God as their own? And so when well, he spoke to groups about just what he saw, about the opportunity to share their faith in God. He formed a group called China Inland Mission and soon found that many volunteers had joined. They were all China-bound. I'm not good at reading poetry. They all set sail together and arrived at China's shore. 
they reached a coastal city which they eagerly explored. The Chinese men wore braided pigtails and cone-shaped hats. They balanced bamboo poles across their shoulders. Others sat or squatted by their merchandise, clay pots, bright silk and rice, food cooked in walks and open fires, all smelled especially nice. Oh, I love Chinese food. We're going inland, Hudson said, where few white men have gone. Our British clothes will look quite strange. Let's dress like we belong. So they put on Chinese suits, pajama-like and blue, and then to fit in even better, added curled-up shoes. Next, Hudson had a barber shave the front of each man's head and weave a false pigtail into the hair that was not the hair that was not shed. They traveled inland where they found a house in disrepair, but it was big enough to put a hospital downstairs. They lift, left the windows open and they kept the drapes undrawn so that their Chinese neighbors could observe all that went, wood went on, all that went on. When Hudson ate a meal with chopsticks, many Chinese chose to peer at his blue eyes and touch his long and bumpy nose. They rubbed the freckles of one man to see if they were painted. They found the British weren't that different as they got acquainted. It wasn't long before the poor were coming every day. The missionaries fed them and encouraged them to stay. The news of friendly foreigners began to swiftly spread, so Hudson stayed quite busy with the sick who visited. While Hudson's skills as a physician served to draw them in, his Chinese speech and manners also helped build trust in him. At times when he would take a break, he'd climb up on a desk and sing some hymns and speak of God, his love and kindliness. He's looking pretty Chinese there, ain't he? Mm -hmm. His group moved inland to Yangchow, a place where they greeted... They were greeted by such a kind innkeeper who made sure they were well treated. And once they'd found a house for rent, there was a constant stream of Chinese who were curious to meet this foreign team. And yet the educated Chinese, and yet the educated Chinese leaders of the town did not want Hudson's team to spread their Christian faith around. They tried to stir up trouble and soon began to weave some awful rumors, hoping they could force Hudson to leave. So one of the rumors that they spread was how small Hudson was, that he was just a tiny little man. And he said, that's true. He said it wasn't a rumor. It was true. He wasn't very big. He said, we don't have to be big to do good thing, big things for God. Since many in the town believed the rumors that they'd heard, they went there to the mission house, their anger greatly stirred. They threw mud balls and rocks as they pushed hard on the chain gate while Hudson prayed inside and hoped that it was not too late to get help from the Mandarin, the leader of the town. With just one word, the Mandarin could calm the townsmen down. So Hudson, so Hudson managed to escape and ducked out on the street. He, he kept his head down and he walked as fast as his heart beat. Some angry townsmen saw him, though Hudson picked up speed and took a shortcut through some fields, yet still the loud stampede of Chinese men grew closer and closer. He increased his stride and made it to the Mandarin's large courtyard. Help, he cried. There Hudson told the Mandarin his house was being attacked, and those inside could get hurt if the men weren't ordered back. The Mandarin bowed kindly and politely questioned him, and then he said, I'll help you. His, current, his concern was genuine. 
When Hudson heard that he could go, he was out of danger. He went back to his home, but found things burned and stolen out of anger. The good news was his team was safe, and that and that the Mandarin had ordered all his people not to harm the group again. They got their house fixed up. They helped the sick and shared their food, which put the townsmen into a more peaceful, trusting mood. The kind of innkeeper, the kind innkeeper, soon became a Christian, and two others who had refused to riot soon became his Christian brothers. Is there bad news? I don't know. There was a lot of bad news so far. We just got to the good news. Three just became Christians. Hmm. Soon Hudson's team went places where no white men had before. They drew maps of areas they'd covered and explored. They crisscrossed China west to east. Three women forged ahead to help some starving orphans since a dreadful drought had spread. The mission's pioneer adventures soon became well known and others joined throughout the world until the work had grown so that in every Chinese province mission work was done by those who were inspired by what Hudson had begun. As Hudson traveled China, he persuaded Chinese Christians to come and help establish his important inland mission. But almost 40 fruitful years, for almost 40 fruitful years, he helped to mobilize so much support that Chinese in the thousands were baptized. One night while he was sleeping, Hudson Taylor died quite peacefully, deep in the heart of China, where he always loved to be. One Christian can accomplish much, and many can do more. So by yourself or as a team, help others for the Lord. So do you think you can do big things as a small person? I think so too. So don't let your size deter anyone. Paul told Timothy, let no man despise thy youth. You can hear the same thing. God can use anyone that's willing to be used. doesn't matter how big you are. It doesn't matter that you're really small. It just, all that matters is that you take God and allow Him to use you because He's our real strength. All right, you guys can go back. Thank you, Kerry. I'm beginning to think it's actually uh, small people that are called to go to Asia. <laughs> uh, your next Thailand trip, I want to hear put into uh, poetry like that. So there's, there's an assignment for you, Sarah. <laughs> all right. Well, once again, it's good to have you all here. Um, as mentioned before, and I think you all know already, today is Mother's Day, and we have a Mother's Day meal planned after the uh, service. So listen up, kids. I know normally our kids go through the line, get their food first. We love you guys. We like taking care of you that way. But today's a little different. All the mothers, all the ladies, all the girls get to go first. That sound good? No? <laughs> Thanks for being honest. <laughs> All right, so please do stay and uh, join us uh, for the meal afterwards. Um, coffee, tea, water, those kind of things around out in the foyer. Please help yourselves. We have a guest speaker today, and I'm going to turn it over to uh, Phil to introduce him, and, uh, and you can close our service as well.
I also want to wish all you moms a happy Mother's Day. Jesus thought a lot about his mom. How many of you know who instigated Jesus' first miracle? His mother. In John chapter 2, Jesus was at a wedding with his mom and his siblings. And who came to Jesus? saying that someone needed something. His mother mother came to Jesus, you'll read the story, and said, Jesus, they ran out of wine. Now for us, in our Western culture, that's not a big deal. But in their culture, it was the wine that was a big deal at a wedding. It was the common drink. It was like us running out of water. Kind of. Or maybe us running out of, like, cake or coffee. Something like that. It was a big deal. It was big enough that Jesus' mom, his mom, Mary, came and said, Jesus, they ran out of wine. Can someone tell me what Jesus said to his mom? Thank you for letting me know. I'll take care of it. Is that what he said? What did he say? Someone tell me. He said, Mom, mm-mm. He said, my time has not yet come. Or, and then he said, Woman, what do I have to do with you? Whoa. That sounds a bit rude to talk to your mom that way. But what Jesus meant to say, what he was saying is, Hey, Mom, you can't control my miracles. doesn't work that way. I only do what my Heavenly Father tells me to do. And you don't get to control my miracles. But then what did Jesus do? He did the miracle, didn't he? He blessed his mother. And you know what Jesus did after the wedding? Many people miss this part. Some Christians think, well, I'm going to have to stand up to my mom, you know. I'm done with my mother's apron strings and now I'm going to go serve God. But that's not how Jesus did it. Do you know where Jesus went after the wedding? He went home with his mother for a few days and hung out. You can read that in John chapter 2. And after this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. See, a lot of people miss that part of how Jesus honored his mother doing his first miracle, beginning his ministry with his mother. And do you know how he ended his life? With his mother. Just before he died on the cross, you can read this in John 19, and I read both of these this morning as I thought about mothers. The Lord said to me, look at me and be like me. Look at me and be like me. Have you heard Jesus say that to you? Then you will honor your mother. Not just once or twice, but all through Jesus' ministry, there was one person who often was there with Jesus, and that was his mother. In John 19, 
you'll read Jesus was crucified. And as they crucified Jesus, I'm going to read this to you. Verse 16. So then they delivered him to be crucified. Then took, they took Jesus, therefore, he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two other men, one on either side and Jesus in between. And Pilate wrote an inscription also and put it on the cross and it was written, Jesus the Nazarene the king of the Jews. Therefore, this inscription many of the Jews read for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Hebrew and Latin and in Greek. I'm going to skip down here. And verse 25, Therefore the soldiers did all these things, but they were there, but there were standing by the cross of Jesus. Standing right next to his cross. Jesus, his mother. There were standing by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister. Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother. What did he say? Can someone tell me what he did? Say, oh, mom, be of good cheer. I'm coming back. Is that what he said? How did he comfort his mom? Can someone tell me? He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. When Jesus therefore saw his mother... And the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. And then Jesus died. So his first miracle, the beginning of his ministry, was with his mother. And at the end of his life, he took care of his mother by asking John to take her. And John did. For the rest of Mary's living day, John took care like she was his mother. He adopted Jesus' mother to be his own. Isn't it wonderful how Jesus honored his mom? And so today, let's not just do it one day. But as I told the poem to the boys this morning, this little poem of, I love you, mom. You know that poem? Someone, how many of you know that little poem, I love you, mom? It goes like, yeah, you know it, Gary? Yes. Uh, I might have to just say it real quick. I'm going to, for the children. Let me get my phone. I'll have to read it. I haven't quite memorized it yet. The second kid is what, Lucas? The best kid. I'm glad you know it. Okay, since Carrie started with poetry, I'll continue. I love you, mother, said little John. Then forgetting his work, his cap went on. 
And he was off to the garden swing and left her the water and the wood to bring. I love you, mother, said little Nell. I love you better than tongue can tell. Then she teased and pouted for half the day till her mother rejoiced when she went to play. I love you, mother, said little Fan. Today I will help you all I can. How glad I am. School doesn't keep. So she rocked the baby till it fell asleep. Then stepping softly, she took the broom and swept the floor and tidied the room. Busy and happy all day was she, helpful and happy as child could be. I love you, mother, again they said, three little children going to bed. Which do you think that mother guessed? Which of them really loved her best? Which one do you guess? The second? Boo! <laughs> Not the second. Uh-uh. You guys did not get the story. I guess I have to read it again. The third one. Little fan. Right? I love you, mother, Jesus said. I love you, mother, Jesus said. Today, I'll make water into wine. I love you, mother, Jesus said. John... Please take care of mine. Today we have a brother with us to share the word that I'm so blessed. It's one of those moments when I, I again just stand in awe of God and in the honor that he gives us as his children. Brother Don Corbell is here from Missouri. And God has the most amazing ways of interconnecting us with his family. And this is one of those. Brother Don and I knew each other for years ago in the late 90s and early 2000s um, through Brother Keith Daniels' uh, ministry. Some of you may know him from South Africa. He's now with the Lord. And, um, and it, his son, Brother Roy, was here sharing with us at the youth retreats for the last couple of years. And through that, John Schroeder got connected with Don Corville um, because Don and Roy are still close. And... Through that, uh, invited Brother Don down here. And so it, it was my great joy to reconnect with you, Brother Don, and uh, just to hear what the Lord is doing in your life. You can come on up. And uh, I look forward to seeing what the Lord is, is going to share with us through you. I'll pray with you. And uh, Brother John, since you were an instigator in this as well, come on up and let's pray together over Brother Don. <laughs> <clears throat> Can you walk? Yeah. Okay. Lord, I just thank you for bringing Brother Don into our lives uh, lately, and I just thank you, Lord, that he could be here. Uh, to make this special trip from Nebraska, Lord, uh, here, Lord, as they were visiting his wife's family, Lord, I just thank you for him, and I just pray that uh, every word that comes out of his mouth, Lord, would be from you and you alone, Lord. I just pray that you would give him clarity of mind and that you will just reveal yourself to him in new ways, even as he is up here, Lord, uh, speaking your word to us, Lord. I 
just thank you for your many blessings on us. In Jesus' name. Amen, Father. I thank you and join together with all of us as your children. We thank you that you are a good Father in heaven who loves your children. And one thing you love to do with your children is to connect us, to build fellowship among us, to strengthen each other, encourage each other around your word and you yourself. So, Father, I pray that today through your Holy Spirit, you would anoint our brother and, and pour out your spirit through him like you yourself said, Jesus. Let rivers of living water flow from his innermost being and refresh every one of us today. Oh, Father, I pray that not one of us would keep our mouths shut, but we would open wide and receive that living heavenly water that you want to quench our thirst with today through our brother. In Jesus' name, be glorified, our Father. Amen. God bless you. <laughs> well, you guys have brought a stranger in. I told John if it doesn't work out. I told John if it doesn't work out, you're to blame. <laughs> I was just thinking, I was preaching around in this area Oh, back in 72 to 74, I preached over in Wellington. I preached up at Frisco, a little place called Kittredge in Denver, several times at a rescue mission and down in Colorado Springs. But I hadn't preached here since probably 74. And I've preached hundreds of times up in Wyoming, pastor a church up there, and hundreds of times in Nebraska. The Lord dug me up out of a swamp in Louisiana. My dad was 100% French. Uh, we have these guys down there they call Cajuns. Acadian. They talk funny. And they go down in the bayous. And I grew up fishing in the swampy areas. Never saw an alligator until after we got married. See, my wife and I were married in 1972. Let's see, the 20th will be 51 years. And I finally saw one. I was out fishing. I went back home after graduating from college and out in my dad's bass boat, and I tried to catch it, but I couldn't. So that night, I took her back out and uh, shined a light. There's that red eye, and that verse popped into my mind when she said, get me out of here right now. Children, it's fathers, or no, husbands, obey your wives. <laughs> Well, I was going to share another message with you, and then I was going to share another, and then the other day, God just popped into my mind to share this one. And uh, I am really humbled to be here and to be with you. God uh, raised me up to be a preacher, and I was sharing things with Phil yesterday. And when God was talking to me about that, I told him he had the wrong guy and uh, had a whole list of things. And see, I'm a zero. And God said, that's just what I'm looking for, a zero. And he puts his one in front of your zero, and you got a 10. But and I told Phil, one of the gals there, <clears throat> there at the Bible college where I was, her dad had told her, and I saw her at a Bible camp out in Nebraska, that I was the shyest person he'd ever seen in his life. And I was really pretty damaged, greatly damaged. At 17 and 18, I wanted to be... I wanted to die and start over. 
and just life had been pretty hard mentally uh, going to school in the public schools um, just was hard but at 19 I was almost 20 in, in college and I was a psychology major so I could try to figure out what was wrong with me really <laughs> don't, I don't suggest that to anybody It'll take you. There's a lot of demonism in that Freudism stuff. But anyway, I was in the oldest town in the Louisiana Purchase. It's 600 years old now, older in New Orleans. And July 10th, 1966, the Lord saved my soul. And there was a verse, Psalms 142, where the verse says, No man cared for my soul. Nobody knew me. Uh, pastor knew my name. I was in the church there, and, uh, but I was messed up. But I'd seen one time a verse, first time God's word spoke to me, and that was Matthew 6.33 that says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And, uh, and I said, after, I don't know, a couple weeks or so, I've I got it figured out. I said, God, you said if I would put you first. And I thought I was saved, but I wasn't. At 10, I'd went forward and got baptized and all that stuff. And I guess I prayed a prayer. I don't remember it. But July 10th, in the evening service of the First Baptist Church in the oldest town of Louisiana Purchase, founded in 1713. Beautiful little town. But I said, God, you can have me. You can do whatever you want to with me. You can send me wherever you want. It's not your conventional sinner's prayer. (laughs) But I was a pile of sin and a mess. Uh, I am still a mess. But I'm God's mess. (laughs) And you're a mess. I know Phil's a mess. (laughs) I spent a couple hours with him last night. He can't hide it. (laughs) But anyway, something happened inside of me. I was just clean. Wow. I didn't know what had happened. It took me a while to go to figure it out. I was born again and went back to the dorm just, wow, I didn't know what happened. You see, when you're saved, the Holy Spirit will bear witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. And I'd like to just start off, and I'm going to be in, uh, in the Old Testament if I ever get there. First Chronicles chapter 4 about Jabez. Uh, Anyway, I want to just say, if you're not sure that you're saved, let me tell you this for sure. God wants you to be saved. He wants you so bad that he sacrificed his only begotten son on the cross for your sins. Your sins were paid for. And so that means that salvation is offered as a free gift. And what do you do with a free gift? You either receive it or reject it. If you know you're lost, you know you're a sinner, and you know Jesus died for you, how many times will you walk away from the Spirit of God speaking to you that you need to turn your life to Christ? You are rejecting God every time the Spirit of God speaks to you. So let me encourage you to do that, and let's just stop and pray right now in case somebody would like to ask the Lord to save you. Let's just do that now. Father, I just pray as we start that you would help us. God, that you would help me, but also, if there's someone here that knows they're lost, they don't don't know how to get saved, that right now they would just tell you they know they're lost, and they believe Jesus died for them on the cross, and that they would just, by faith, trust you to save them. 
as they're willing to repent of their sin, you want us to just call unto you and you do the saving. And when you see us at the end of our rope like I was and you see us that we really want to be saved, you see the sincerity of our heart, you hear us. So I pray right now for any that are right now just saying, Jesus, I trust you to save me. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you were buried and you rose again. And I believe you just saved me. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Now, if he saves you, you're going to want to tell somebody. And that's why we are baptized. That's your first move of obedience. If you want to turn in your Bibles to First um, uh, Chronicles chapter uh, 4, we're going to talk about a mother and the influence that she had on her son's life. We don't know much about her. We don't know her name. We know her son's name. And we know that life must have been hard. First Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 9. And Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bear him with sorrow. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou wouldst bless me indeed. And enlarge my coast, and that thine hand might be with me, and that thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested. The scripture says that this mother bore this boy with sorrow. And I'm going to say something. If you start off in the beginning of this book, it's just chapter after chapter, verse after verse after verse of genealogy. And all of a sudden, Jabez pops up, and God says some things about him. Then he con continues on with all these different names that uh, they're hard to pronounce. But what was it that made Jabez more honorable? And if you go to the meaning of like cause, his name meant thorn. And some of these other guys, uh, Anub in verse uh, 8 means confederate. And just his family must have been rough. And then his mom bore him and called him sorrow. You could even say pain. I don't know if he was a pain in the neck or whatever, but think about it. What's your kid's name? Pain. <laughs> Sorrow. And in that day, your life sort of followed your name and your, what you did and everything. So what I want to do, I want to go through some things and just say some things with you, and especially for you mothers to be encouraged because uh, 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 hope... You don't have one like my mom had like me. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> the stories my dad, now I don't think dad lied, said about me. Like one time I went up to him and I said, and I only had one sister, my favorite sister. And I said, Dad, we got one too many kids around here. <laughs> I don't know how they survived me. It was really must have been tough. But listen, <clears throat> I'm going to throw out some things to you. And I want you to ask God to give you at least one thing from this message. Just try to get one thing. I mean, we listen to hundreds and hundreds of messages. And in my Bible, I've got things that I've jotted down that God would teach me. And I'm going to say something every now and then that's going to be a little bit profound sounding. Don't think it came from me. I probably got it from somebody else. <laughs> but as you go through life, sometimes you're going to find some troubles. You're going to find some problems, and most of us know our country's headed for some serious problems. And in case you don't know it, 
our whole society is anti-Christ and anti-Christian. And a guy wrote a book about that. It sounds like he wrote it yesterday, but he wrote it over 120 years ago, talking about the atmosphere. So if it was bad 120 years ago, what is it now? So um, <clears throat> Matthew 5, 47 would be the equivalent of this passage of Jabez. And that's where Jesus said, and if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? So I want to talk to you about exceeding and excelling even in the midst of trouble and pain. This kid overcome his name and probably things didn't look too good around, you know, oh, here comes old sorrow. His mother must have had a hard birth maybe to name him that. We just don't know. But Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. This is a word for exceeding. The more, Jesus said, what do you more than others? That's the Greek word for exceeding. So I want to talk to you about God working in your life to such a point that you make contact with him, not only every day, uh, not just I'm talking about your prayer life being more consistent and, and all of this, but I'm talking about the intensity of your making contact with God to such a difference that it makes such a difference in your life that your life makes a difference in other lives. Because if God could dig me up out of the swamps, I mean, they sent me to, I grew up being told I was dumb, stupid. That's a, my wife doesn't like me to say that word, but I went to, this is back before, way before even the hippies were homeschooling. I started homeschooling my kids in 1989. We had seven of them. But to the point to where you make contact with God if you run into some really bad things and you don't let those things overcome you, but you overcome them. We're overcomers, right? All right. So I'm going to throw some things out. And I'm going I'm to give you four things for mothers to try to instill into their children, at least to try to raise them up. Uh, Jabez had these four requests that he asked of God. And so my goal is to challenge you to excel in life, especially your prayer life, um, to really make... And God granted him, listen, and God granted him that which he requested. I think God is bored with a lot of our Christian life. I've got so many stories, I was telling a few of them, to feel I've got so many stories after making contact with God, what was that, 57 years ago? I preached my first message 58 years ago, and I wasn't even saved, and that was hard, <laughs> to 500 people. <laughs> These girls tricked me into doing that. I was at a retreat center, and they needed somebody to preach at this sanatorium, and the chaplains said there's 500 people. Man. Anyway, I would, I would come up, and he was out there. He's the only one, and he would go like that. He was encouraging me. Then I got saved a year later, and that helped a lot. <laughs> you, you try serving God without God, knowing God. <laughs> anyway, Jabez made contact with God. And by the way, Jacob, after messing up his life, deceiving his father, 20 years with Laban, getting deceived for 20 years, finally... You know, the rubber's going to hit the road here. He's coming back, heading home, and uh, he's going to meet Esau. And you know all of this. Esau is coming with 400 men, and Esau intends to whoop up on old Jacob, I'm sure. That's why he, 
But he spent that night with God, wrestling probably with the pre-incarnate of Christ. And when it was all done, he would not let him go. Jacob would not let the Lord go, and the Lord blessed him. And he walked away from that encounter with two things. A limp, we have our scars, scars and our sorrows, we have our bad things that happened to us. But he had power with God. He had power with God. Genesis 32, 31, 28 in there. He had power with God. You see, Jabez was a loser. And Jacob had ended up looking like a loser too. But both of these men excelled. And you think about the Lord. He was a man of sorrows. He looked like a loser as far as all the, the important type of people, the Pharisees and scribes. You think he just healed thousands and thousands and thousands of people. But they still wouldn't accept him into, into their hearts or receive that he was the Messiah because that meant they had to surrender to him. Your life will never go anywhere until you surrender to God. And once you do, the devil's not going to like it, I guarantee. So what I want is for you to get something out of this that's going to maybe change your life and maybe bless you. And I've got this is one of them statements I got from a doctor friend down in Louisiana. I've got two, uh, three really doctor friends and two I'm pretty close with, and they're both trying to counsel me because I'm coming down with Parkinson's. And... Uh, I'm told it's not a good thing. Four months ago, I, I was a total cripple in pain. And I thought I was going to die. I had so much pain with my muscles and everything. It just happened overnight almost. And uh, the one closest to me in the northern part of the state said, get on the medicine, get on the medicine. But the one down in Louisiana, a really good friend, uh, he's just listening and saying things. And he's a doctor's doctor. But he said this. One time he said, your blessing is just beyond your believing. Your blessing is just beyond, beyond your blasting, maybe. Your blessing is just beyond your sorrow. Because, see, God has an amazing way of taking things and turning them around for good. This is why we claim those verses. So let's go into these four things <clears throat> that uh, Jabez requested of God. And I have something I picked up a few uh, last year sometime do not let your past control your future. Do not let your past, if it's been really bad. We've got a friend, a lady friend of my mom. She had a horrible, horrible past, background, being crazed up. And mom didn't want her and abuse and all kinds. But it, she can't seem to get over it. We'd say, we want you to come have a meal with us. And she'd say, oh, no, you don't really want me. She's just, and so her past, she just can't seem to get over that it so affected her. So the first thing is his request. He said, bless me. Bless me indeed. This is his personal pursuit. And here's one of the things I want to throw out. Are you blessable? God, people, you know, people say, bless, God bless America. We're not blessable. <laughs> you know, we need to repent. And we need an awakening. But are you blessable? If you're blessable then God will bless you. But if you've got something you know in your life that's not right, you need to deal with it. And the scripture said that he was honorable. Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. That meant that he was a man of honor, and a lot of his relatives didn't seem to be. But he was honorable. Um, <clears throat> God is honored by your faith. Um, after, um, <clears throat> after I got saved, two things happened. 
I got uh, I got an invitation to preach. Good thing I got saved this time <laughs> uh, with the Baptist group there in the college where I was. And I don't encourage people to go to colleges, schools, or Bible colleges. They're all messed up mostly. A lot of them, just most of them. But anyway, then I got an invitation to work for the government. Four years. Uh, or two years if I joined the army. You know, I got a draft notice. This is 19, the Vietnam was bar, bad. And so I joined the Air Force, ended up going through all my training, schooling, and became a petroleum specialist and all this stuff. And ended up in Turkey. And over in Turkey, I had all kinds of amazing experiences. Just, I'm learning to walk with God. God, I had an army guide that mentored me, and we uh, memorized scriptures from the navigator program. And, but I learned to walk with God. Just a simple walk, and I'll give you one story about that. Um, I've been there a year and a half. I've I lived in the seven churches of Asia Minor. I walked the streets that Paul did. Been to Athens, I don't know how many times. In the Greek islands, we had a tugboat. Just all kinds. Traveled all over. But before I'm before I'm 22, I've been in 15 countries. But this army guy had taught me to walk with God, and. Um, one thing that happened is our group got to go to Israel, so they had a whole bunch of us. We signed up for R&R. &R. I got cut off on the list, and they got to go down to Israel. This is 1967. And, uh, oh, okay. All things come from above. All right, Lord, that's fine. One year later, I <clears throat> come back off the, um, the Isle of Patmos, been there twice, and I'm sitting on my bed, and I say this to the Lord in my spirit. I said, Lord, I'm fixing to go home in less than a month. I've got some leave. I've got some money. And I, I haven't been to Israel. I'd like to. And the Lord spoke into my spirit. And he said, pick up your bags. My suitcase is still packed. And go out to the terminal. I did. I walked out to the terminal. And I, hey, you guys got any planes going anywhere? He said, yeah, we got one going in 15 minutes to Athens. Okay, put me on it. So I hopped on that plane. Back in those days in the Air Force, you could just fly anywhere if they had room for you. And uh, so I got there. I go in there. You guys got any planes going to Israel? And they said, yeah, we got one a week that's going to, that goes to Israel. And it went yesterday. Oh. Hmm. I thought I was going to Israel. So far, I'm 100 miles the opposite way. <laughs> so I... I got on a bus, went around to the civilian side of the uh, runway. Uh, in other countries, they do that. They shared bases. And I went in there, you guys got any planes going to Israel? And they said, yeah, we got one a week that goes. Let me tell you the rest of the story. <laughs> and they said, it goes in three hours, and we have one seat. Well, I think I'll fast and pray for a few days about that. <laughs> no, I'll take it. $147, I think, I had to pay to go to Israel. My whole time went like that. And I'll have to stop because I had amazing things happen in Israel. I mean, just unbelievable things happen. I'll share one of them with you. I got to not go because I got another one that's really good. <laughs> I had an Arab come up and try to lead me to Lord in Jerusalem. <laughs> ended up going to his prayer meeting and they all spoke in tongues <laughs> just things like that the whole 10 days there 
just amazing. I, I got to stop. Let's go on this because I have another really neat one. But God's going to bless you. So here he is. Bless me. Bless me. And, and Jacob and Esau wanted to get the blessing. Remember, he come back and his dad wouldn't repent. Hebrews, because he wasn't blessable. That's where we left off. By the way, I'm pretty good at bunny trails. So anyway, <clears throat> uh, Esau wasn't blessable, so he, he lost it. You know, I, I traveled around the country back in the 80s, the mid-80s, and later 80s because we had revival up in Nebraska where I was. And, and I'd ask God to teach me about churches. And he said, keep your mouth shut. Good idea for me. Eyes open and ears open. He'll teach me about churches. And I got all these things in the back of my Bible. And one of those that he taught me was that we should always secure God's blessing. You've secured his blessing presence if you've secured his blessing. There's so many churches. In the last three years, I resigned my church three years ago, and I pastored over 42 years and whatever. But I've been in over 20 churches in the last three years, 20-something. Hardly any of them are blessable. There's one we were in, just a little small church. My wife and my daughter, we got an unmarried daughter still. We, we sat down in that church, and then I preached the next year there, and Roy preaches there quite often sometimes. But we looked at each other, and we said, wow, God is in this place. That's a pretty unusual experience. But anytime we meet together, we should know that God has met with us. Don't look at these, this mess. These, you know, we keep looking to God. You look at Phil, you're going to get discouraged. <laughs> you know, He's not, we're not perfect. You look at yourself, you're going to be really discouraged, depressed, and all this. You look around, you get distracted. Just keep looking to Jesus. Amen. I heard somebody say, we just, take a, we just take a glance at that, but then we keep our gaze upon the Lord. So, Jabez had a little secret to get blessed. You know what that was? He said, indeed. Indeed. Look at there. Bless me indeed. You know what that word means? In the Hebrew, it means to kneel down or to kneel or to make to kneel. He's humbling himself before God. This is why I believe a lot of this razzle-dazzle stuff going along with shouting and rock and all that. There's no kneeling. There's no humbling. I appreciate an atmosphere like this where there's an atmosphere of humility amongst us. And I can sense it. But it spoke of humility. Solomon kneeled when he, when he asked God to bless him. Remember, where's your, where's your blessing? It's just beyond your believing. Believe God. I believe God to get me to Israel. Just a simple thing. I laid it out just like the wine. Lord, I'd like to go to Israel. And he gave me something to do. Pick up your bags and go. God will give you something to do. He will lead you to your blessings, but you're always going to have to obey at some point. The second request that he made was for God to enlarge his coast in verse 10. We talked about Hudson Taylor a number of years ago, and, and we'd had a meeting uh, where I knew uh, several guys. But anyway, one of the guys was Wesley Duell. Anybody ever heard of Wesley Duell? He was in line after Hudson Taylor with the China Indian Mission. They changed it to OMF, Overseas Mission Family. And I met with him one time 
And uh, he, he was an amazing guy, and he prayed a prayer with me. I'd give $100, which to get out of a Cajun type like me, $100, it's going to be hard. But he prayed this prayer. This was his, he prayed a prayer over me, and this was his life verse, Isaiah 54, 2 and 3 and 4, where, he, where I, Isaiah said, enlarge the place of thy tent. Imagine God saying this. Enlarge the place of thy tent. Let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes, for thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. And he goes on about him not being afraid. Are you at a point every day when you get up and you get your eyeballs open and get get the fog out of your brain, get your cup of coffee or whatever, and then you say, God, would you bless me today? Would you use me to be a blessing? Before you go somewhere, connect with God. Have God involved with your day. You get, it helps to start the day with God if you're going to end the day with God. But just, uh, you know, do this. Enlarge my coast. He's reaching out. I don't know, maybe he wanted more land or whatever, uh, more influence. There was a town before this named Jabez, and that's where all the scribes, the doctors of the law, would study. He had probably such influence. I had a town named after him back in the previous. But just look, when I first went to Wyoming up here and pastored in my first church back in 1975, I said, Lord, give me Wyoming. My vision was for Wyoming. And I loved it. Man, up there where I was, I was in Guernsey in a Bible church. And man, we had miners and farmers and ranchers and rattlesnakes. Rattlesnakes were about the friendly. <laughs> you could shoot them. <laughs> but it was wild. And, and you know, down south where I was raised, they would try to get me in these churches where you wear a tie all the time and, and uh, you know, go around. You've got these, all this stuff. I didn't want that. I want something different. And Wyoming was right up my track. It was wild and I was wild. And I loved it. And the man, the devil was there. We had a wonderful time. <laughs> he tried to kill me and destroy me. And matter of fact, he hadn't quit. He hadn't quit. And he won't quit. It should bother you if the devil doesn't bother you. Because we're at war. But Jabez said, enlarge my coast. And uh, you know, when they were praying to get Peter out of jail, you remember that? And um, God got him out, and he's knocking on the door, and Rhoda, Rhoda the runner, you know, hey, Peter's out there. He said, you are mad. No, Peter's out there. You know, Peter had more trouble getting into the prayer meeting than getting out of jail. I believe they, I believe they, I believe they believed God to get him out of jail. They were praying in faith. The problem was they just didn't figure God would do it that way. <laughs> And that's the way it is when you pray. Don't try to figure out the way God's going to do it. Just pray, believe Him to do it, and watch and see. He, he knows how. He likes to do things backwards. You ever notice that? Wait till you get some sorrow, some trials, some, and man, we have seen a lot. So think about this. Prayer is your weakest area, and it is your strongest area. Learn to be men and women of prayer. Everything out of prayer. I've learned whatever I don't pray for over the, in the first part of the day, I'm responsible for. 
But if I go over everything I know that's going to happen that day, okay, God, I prayed about this. And, uh, but then I come along, yeah, that happened. You didn't pray about that. So just take everything to God. He answers. It's your, it's your strongest and weakest point. Um, you think about the Syrophoenician woman that came to Jesus. She cried out, and she cried again. The disciples said, get rid of her. You know, get rid of her. She's bothering us. And uh, she kept coming to the Lord. And, uh, you know, and the Lord finally said, uh, you know, it's not good to take the bread on to, to the tribe of Israel and everything. And she kept working until she said even the dogs would take the, eat the little crumbs under the table. And then it says she came and worshipped. Boy, that got the job done. Sometimes I think we're not worshipping enough. And especially if you go through a hard thing, it should drive you to the Lord to really pray. Paul was always praying and always calling for prayer. Enlarge my coast. Think about that. Um, <clears throat> down in Missouri, Pastor Church, that we went for about 20, 27, 28 years. My deacon, one of my deacons, was working up in Prudhoe Bay on the North Slope. Oh, no, actually, he was down on the Lucian Strait, somewhere out on a platform, and he had an aneurysm. And they, a hundred. Uh, hour and a half to get the helicopter back to the hospital and his wife happened to be up there in Alaska at that time that he would fly back and forth when the surgeon went in to to uh, operate on he said ma'am there's only like a four percent chance your husband will make it through this he didn't know this woman was a woman of prayer this woman knew how to get a hold of God and man, she prayed and she prayed and the doctor come and left and went on vacation. And when he came back, he fully expected to see this man dead. But he lived another seven years. I believe it was because of prayer. She knew how to pray and how to get a hold of God. And it was a really hard time. Matter of fact, I'm in Louisiana when I get the phone call, fixing to preach my mom's funeral. And I get this phone call about this guy just before I preach. <laughs> Oh, oh, wow. Anyway, learn to get hold of God. Let me keep moving here. He said, enlarge my coast. Um, anybody ever have a financial need? All right. All the you people that got a lot of money, line up over here. All of those, they're all poor, will line up over here. And we'll meet in the middle and get this worked out. <laughs> The communists have been trying to do that for over 100 years. <laughs> it doesn't work. You know, I love it when the Spirit of God is working in a church. And it works like the New Testament church. We had that going. Matter of fact, people would walk away and say, wow, God is present. I told my men one time, I said, men, you know, I'd get my men together and we would pray over things. And I said, this brother, he wasn't there at the time. He's driving 84 miles one way in a Jalopy. You think we can do anything for him? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They gathered up amongst themselves $2,200. They gave it to a son-in-law there in Springfield that had car lots. Said, what can you do with this for a conversion van? A couple of weeks later, uh, we were at the end of the church. I said, why don't we all go out in front of the building out here? We met at a camp for years, 50 bucks a week. <laughs> and uh, we stand next to this beautiful conversion van. And I said... Brother, this is yours. Everybody started shouting and hollering and praising the Lord. 
And uh, I think it was probably worth $4,500 or so, just like that. Work together. The body is to cover each other and work together. I had one brother in our church. He had 10 children and hospital bills up to his eyeballs. I walked up to him one day and handed him a check for $9,000. said, brother, go get out of debt. We, as a body of Christ, working under the headship of Christ with the Holy Spirit, Lincoln, are a body. If one part of your body, like, you know, my body's falling apart. <clears throat> I got a good crunch on a handshake yesterday. Got polymyalgia in my there. I mean, I'm getting supplements and pills, and I got a massage therapist in the church that's keeping my muscles. I was almost a total cripple. My wife, four months ago, had to totally dress me and undress me. But just in that amount of time, seeking God with a lot of prayer, with the supplements and the minerals, detoxing, getting all these bad oils out of us. God can do things. Let me share this story with you. <clears throat> the second church I took in my wife's hometown, and talk about a mess. There was another pastor. I gave him plenty of room if he wanted that. God had shut me off from going to one in Arkansas. It was just an amazing thing. I mean, a doctor or a lawyer in a church would get me all lined up to move, and he said, brother, something happened. You can't come. I was filled with joy, filled with a little sorrow because God had showed me in 1975 or something, I was supposed to be in the Ozark area, which we are now, been there for years, filled with joy, also in the flesh, a little disappointed, but anyway, out of that opened up for this church in my wife's hometown. I'm sitting at a ball game for, I guess, one of my wife's niece, nephews, sitting next to this guy, and I said, what's that church building over there? Across the football field, there was a Baptist church. He said, that's a Baptist church. I didn't know there was one in town. And, and he said, yeah, and I go there. Introduced myself to the doctor. He was a doctor, a surgeon. And uh, he said, oh, you want to preach Sunday? <laughs> Well, when I gave him my name, everybody knew my wife. They've been, they've been around there for 100 years, over 100, 120 or something. Her family is really well known, and, and I guess they, he knew he heard that. And so I preached. They didn't have a pastor. And that place was a mess. It had four problems. The first problem <clears throat> was they had a charismatic split. The pastor had come in there, an evangelist, got people saved. They were meeting in the auditorium somewhere and got a new building going. And um, then he had left. The second problem is this new building had not been paid on for a year, and the interest alone is $8,000, and the banker was nervous and going to shut down. They didn't want to. Small town, 2200 Then the other two problems were really bad. When I come in to pastor, that deacon, that surgeon, walked out, proceeded to divorce his wife. Oh, man, everybody knew him in the whole area. Then the third problem is, we, is why the other pastor had to leave real quick. He did something immoral with one of the Sunday school teachers. It was bad, but $8,000. We are praying one Wednesday night, all at the altar, praying, because the next day, it's over. And <clears throat> I get a phone call the next morning. This guy says, we got $8,000 for you. Wow. I'll pray about it. <laughs> Are you kidding? 
I had made a request sometime back to this fellowship of churches that they give grants. And this guy called me up the next morning. He didn't just say it like that. But he said, we're fixing to not do this request you have. And I told the board, let me go talk to this pastor. So he called me up. I told him what was going on, that this church really needed to be here. It was a gospel preaching church. It was a hard area. And uh, told him the circumstances. He went back and said, let's give him the $8,000. And making contact with God. Just normal things of life. Let me go to the third one real quick. Notice that he said that thine hand might be with me. Verse 10. That thine hand be with me. The odds are against Jabez. Remember, and hand is the word that's in the Hebrews used 1,600 times for power. And the blessing for Judah had to be, let his hands be sufficient for him. So let me read this to you. You will have just as much of the power of God upon your life and the witness of Jesus Christ living through your life as you want. It's, it's just we don't reach out to God like Jabez. Listen to this. God's bounty is limited only by us, not by his resources, power, or willingness to give. Jabez was blessed simply because he refused to let any obstacle, person, or opinion loom larger than God's nature, and God's nature is to bless. So whatever this mother put into this kid's life on the negative aspect of it, he turned it around to be a blessing by making contact with God. Amazing, amazing thing. Charles Spurgeon said, if today he chooses to bless us with a sense of pardoned sin, he tomorrow may distress us, make us feel the plague within, all to make us sick of self and fond of him. You see, the Lord doesn't like to play second fiddle. In the orchestra, he's going to play first fiddle. You know the difference between a fiddle and a violin? Anybody? Let me tell you what I was told. <clears throat> Down in our area, we got a lot of hillbillies in the Ozarks. The fiddle is played with the hillbillies, and the violin is played with the cultured people. But it's how you play it, too. Some of my kids played violins. Okay, let's, let me go back to this. Jabez, he was a gimper. He was one that strove for excellence. That said Ronald Reagan was was that. You can't even hardly find a definition for that. But uh, uh, where's your blessing? Just beyond your believing. What are you believing God to do? The just shall live by faith? Well, faith is just not some fuzz floating around. It's something that you are believing God to do or to answer to give you. I don't know if you've heard of David Gibbs Jr., the lawyer with Christian lawyers. His grandfather was mighty loose, just powerfully used for God. People come by by the thousands at his funeral for two, three days. And he had this one thing he said about himself, I lack. I lack. Well, I lack too, and I leak, <laughs> you know. But God used him. He got all kinds of amazing things. Um <clears throat> 
and that thou wouldest keep me from evil. Here's the fourth thing, that it may not grieve me. You moms, you dads, you've really got a lot of work to do, all these little guys and gals, because there's so much evil. That thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me, and God granted him, God granted him that which he requested. Jesus said, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. Um, <clears throat> we got a long afternoon. I'm going to close up with a story. Sometimes God has to just put the squeeze on us to get us to see how needy we are. And so we won't let our present circumstances control our walk with God. There was a missionary by the name of C.T. Studd. <clears throat> I mean, if you heard, he walked away from fame and sports and wealth and all that. And I read this years ago, and, and my books went somewhere. I think it was in a book called A Corn of Wheat. But uh, he had a nurse. They were in Africa, and they were ministering to people, and, and people would line up uh, to be ministered to. And... Uh, First day, they lined up, and at the end, there were two lepers. And the nurse, Edith Moles, you can look her up. I think uh, you can find her on the Internet. Uh, she said, uh, we don't do lepers. <laughs> and so next day, a lot of people there, and uh, <clears throat> go through the whole day. At the end of the day, guess who's at the end of the line? Two lepers. And Edith said, uh, I said, we don't do lepers. Next day, same thing. And one of those nights, God began to speak to her. And he said, Edith, how come we don't do lepers? You see, the problem wasn't ministering to the lepers. The problem was, was the channel going to be open to minister to the lepers? Next day, all the people come through, two lepers. Edith said, we'll do lepers. You see, God could get the lepers when he could get Edith. And God can do amazing things through us when he can get all of our heart, all of our time. I just, I was sharing things with him. Uh, I'm driving probably a vehicle, I guess it was $50,000 back in 2014, a Ford Expedition. And... Uh, uh, my wife told me something years ago. I didn't like to hear it, but she said, let God supply your cars. And I told Phil this, oh, but it's fun to buy cars. We like the thrill of the hunt and the bargain and everything. He says, no. I said, okay. And so God gives me my vehicles. And he gave us this one four years ago. And uh, it was funny because the same time he gave us that, I drove him in my driveway and somebody else gave us a vehicle too. My son-in-law and my son had bought a van for us. I started laughing, and one day God gave me two vehicles. I said, well, you guys can keep the van. I think I'm going to keep the expedition. Because <laughs> we do a lot of traveling. We travel thousands of miles, and I had an old 93 Chevy Suburban bench seats, and it wasn't too comfortable. Listen, take whatever you got from God and run with it. Run with it and watch and see what you can do. We've got these verses. How many, you know Ephesians 3.20. Grab a hold of it. Now unto him that's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you 
even think. We have a great God. From the day I got saved, my life became a life of adventure. A little bit too exciting sometimes. <laughs> I almost get killed a few times, but my, I am just a mess. That's where God found me. I still am. Just ask my wife. <laughs> but let's pray. Lord, do what you want in our lives. You're a great God. May people see the blessing of God upon our lives and say, what is it you have? I want that. Thank you, Father. Bless these folks here. Bless these little ones especially. May your blessing abide upon this place. May the power and the presence and the love of Christ just saturate this fellowship where we care for one another. We watch out for one another. And by this, all men will know that we are your disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Amen, Brother Don. Thank you for sharing that encouraging word, of story of Jabez. As we were sharing last night, um, the Lord brought this to my heart, and I've been praying and thinking through this because it's a word the Lord has been speaking to me out of Second Chronicles chapter 14 through uh, 16. But in 16 verse 9, I shared this with some of you this week. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Amen, Gary, right? Gary told me the other day he's happiest that he's ever been. That's the joy of the Lord, right? Amen. That he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. But you know the context of when God said this to King Asa? Uh-oh. He finishes this truth by saying, you have acted foolishly in this. What had he done? Someone tell me. What had King Asa done? What had he not done? The first, in chapter 14, the first time King Asa, shortly after he was made king, the people come up against him, the Ethiopians. And they had 1.3 million man army. 300 horses with iron chariots. How do you kill a guy in an iron chariot with a little bow? Or a sword? You think you'll kill him? And one million man army. What do you think King Asa did with Judah? Made a strategy? Made a battle plan? He cried out to the Lord his God. You ought to read the story. Chapter 14 of 2 Chronicles. King Asa cried out to God. And Israel not only defended themselves... They went and chased the Ethiopians all the way into their land and conquered their cities and occupied them. Now this story, two chapters later, Asa is in his 36th year reign. That's a long time. 
He's been king for 36 years and God has been faithful to him all those years. He was a mighty man. The army was strong. And guess who comes up against him? Israel. And do you know how many men they had? Israel came up against him with, let's see. It doesn't even say how many men they had. Probably wasn't worth talking about. Do you know what King Asa did? He calls to the Syrians and he says, hey, let's make a treaty. Come help defend me against Israel. He didn't even call out to God. Maybe he thought it wasn't big enough. You know, God does the big stuff. But this little thing, I'm scared. And uh, uh, let's reach out to my friends for some help. My friends can help me out here. And then the prophet comes and says, Asa, God is looking for men, women, whose heart is completely his. So he can come into your life and strongly support you. It happened 36 years ago. But you didn't believe him for this. You went out for help from Damascus. So from now on, guess what's going to happen? You're going to have to fight for your own life. You will have wars to the day you die. That's what he said to him. You're going to have to fight it out. And that's exactly what happens. When we don't trust in God, God says, okay, fight it out. See how that works out for you. And it doesn't work out so well. When we have to fight it out. Works out a whole lot better. When we call out to God. And God makes us, as our brother said, overcomers of our hard circumstances in life. And over the devil. Thank you, my dear brother. And the meal is ready, I think. Yeah, Dave? Is Dave around? In the kitchen? Um, I, I think so. I was back there. It looked like Dave and Dwayne pretty much had it put out. And uh, so, as Anthony said, we want you moms to, to go and uh, in that way bless you. And the kids will just patiently trust God that moms weed quickly. Is that right, children? If it's a tough thing, what are you going to do? Fight it out or trust God? You've got to trust God to give you some patience, right? Yeah. Amen. Instead of mom, mom equals food, food, this time it's mom, mom equals she gets to go first. <clears throat> Let's pray and thank the Lord for the noon meal. And I, as we do that, I just want to again bless you, my brother Don, our brother, for allowing the Holy Spirit to encourage us through you. Father, we do thank you. And I bless you for this, this time together as your family. I thank you for the witness that you bear on your children's lives. You bear witness to your work in our lives. And I want to thank you for that and how it encourages us and each other as we share that. Thank you for the encouragement of your word. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today, if there is a mama here who's just hanging on, like Jean used to say, hanging on with the 
white knuckles it, white knuckling it. Isn't that how you used to say it, Gene? I'm just going to white knuckle it. Lord, if there's a mom here who's overwhelmed, who's just hanging on, she's wore out, I prayed you would lift her up and encourage her. If there's a dad here, Lord, who's overwhelmed and wore out from the stress of life, I pray, Lord, you would lift them up and encourage them. If there's a young person here, children, who are overwhelmed by life, I pray you would encourage their faith and help them to look up to their God, not their earthly parents, their heavenly Father, to provide for their life, their needs. Build us up today on our most holy faith, I pray. And thank you for our mothers, Lord, and the sacrificial life they so beautifully live out with your grace in our lives. And I pray that you would honor them. You would bless them today. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Alright. Mamas. You go first. Let me go check on the kitchen.